down women with diluted dreams of hope for joy has been washed down the street. I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. Hoping to be free, found a new home in the cemetery. In today's world, we are all very subtly consumed with ourselves. When looking at a group photo, our eyes immediately scan the photograph to find our own image, and then we determine the value of that photo's worth based solely upon whether or not we like how we look in the picture. Now, with the convenience of cell phones, individuals often use the camera app to see him or herself and then proceed to take a series of selfies to post on our social media accounts. To further perpetuate our egotistical natures, social media formats offer an About tab that allows us to proclaim to the world the details of our accomplishments, relationships, personal and professional successes, where we've been, and where we are going. Modern technology affords us the opportunity to always put our best face forward by offering filters to erase our blemishes and imperfections and allowing us to show the world a magazine-worthy image of ourselves. I would argue that very few of us feel comfortable enough in our own skin to allow the world to see us as we truly are with our physical defects and imperfections or our failures and defeats. But for some, the luxury of hiding their downfall or undoing is totally out of their hands as their tragedy is blazoned across the headlines or shared over the phone lines or by today's standards, tweeted out to the universe and we'll come back to this point in just a bit. But for now, consider that our 21st century state-of-the-art communication and cutting-edge technology allows us to immediately report an accident, a crime, or a missing person. And within moments of receiving that report, information regarding a child abduction or a missing person is instantly sent through the airwaves and able to reach radios, televisions, and cell phones within seconds. And now, these announcements are even displayed along major highways. Unfortunately, in the America of 1952, especially in its eastern Appalachian region, news didn't travel so fast. After months of not hearing from their younger sister, Alifair, her older sisters moved on with their lives by leaving Kentucky and heading to northern states in hopes of better lives for themselves and their families. Sarah ended up in Mansfield, Ohio's Little Kentucky neighborhood, and Marie 
settled in the Detroit suburb of Ecorse, Michigan. At that time, Alifair's whereabouts were unknown, but soon the details of her disappearance would make national headlines. Around the same time that Alifair's family assumed she had run off with someone, neighbors in the mountainous region of Branham's Creek, located about 25 miles south of Prestonsburg, Kentucky, noticed a new face among the family members of J.S. Hall. Some days, they'd see a scraggly girl working the fields alongside Mr. Hall's wife and children, and then a week or so would pass before they would see her again. Word started to spread throughout the farm families in the area that something strange was going on there, and folks soon began to hear screams and cries late into the night. After a period of time, the local authorities received numerous reports of a mysterious girl who was seen only on occasion and who they thought might have been the source of the agonizing shrieks they would frequently hear crying out into the darkness. A couple of deputies were sent to the area to investigate the reports, but came back empty-handed. Although complaints continued to trickle in, it wasn't until early January that a sheriff's party returned to the mountainside farm because that was when the Hall's daughter-in-law provided a tip to authorities, stating that they should look for a pit located somewhere on the Hall's land. Law enforcement officers began searching the Hall's property, scouring the fields, checking all of the outbuildings, and when they finally entered the barn, the deputies immediately heard the faint cry of a young girl. Although the multiple newspaper accounts give some contradictory information, most agree that a fragile, frail, and severely frostbitten Alifair chauffeur was found in a shallow, board-lined pit that was covered with moss and fodder and located alongside the horse stalls in the barn. According to the Louisville Courier-Journal, she was wearing overalls and a sweater with rags tied around her frostbitten feet. The Orlando Sentinel reported that she was found in critical condition with gangrene in both legs, and the Cincinnati Inquirer noted that she was so weak she had to be carried the 50 yards to the sheriff cruiser. She was immediately taken to a hospital in Martin, Kentucky, and two weeks later was reportedly still suffering from the effects of malnutrition and frostbite from which her doctors feared they would have to amputate three of her toes. As the details of her ordeal began to emerge, the authorities learned that John Smith Hall, or Smith Hall, as he was commonly known, found Alifair roaming in the Prestonsburg area 
and offered to let her live with him, his wife, and children in exchange for helping work their farm. She agreed to go, and before long, she was working the rugged hillside and given men-sized overalls and shoes to wear. Paul later moved her to an abandoned shanty near the farm's property, where he repeatedly beat and raped her. When Smith Hall caught wind that the authorities were headed his way, he moved Alifair out of the shanty and hid her in one of the horse stalls. Although Hall's wife knew that her husband was abusing the girl and holding her captive, she refused to cooperate when the initial search was made, instead denying that she knew anything about some strange girl. It wasn't until Alifair was later found in the pit that Mrs. Hall told the truth and admitted that not only did she know about Alifair, she would try to take her food and water without her husband knowing. Hall's wife also disclosed that her husband had learned that the lawmen were coming back, so he fled into the tall timber of the Appalachians, and she warned them that he knew how to survive off the land, and that a confident J. Smith Hall was certain he would never be caught. But nearly one month later, and over 300 miles away, he was captured near Hopkinsville, Kentucky. When arrested, Smith Hall was said to have been wearing two pairs of overalls and a pair of high-top work boots. And according to one report, while being taken into custody, he puffed on a corncob pipe as he told the deputies that he actually loved Alifair like his very own sister and that he just wanted to give her a family and a place to live. He denied causing her any harm and said that his taking her into his home prevented her from being sent back to the orphanage. In late April of 1952, nearly nine months after taking Alifair away from her family in Prestonsburg and three months since the day she was found nearly dead in the pit, proceedings began against John Smith Hall. During preliminary questioning, he was asked how many children he had, and Mr. Hall had to stop and count them in his head and on his fingers before finally answering that he had 10 children. It was said that spectators laughed at Hall's ineptitude and that after Alifair stepped down from the stand, nearly 20 people rushed to her side in pity and took up a collection of almost $30 for her. The presiding judge in the case ordered Alifair to remain at the home of local resident Minnie Minix until after the trial, as Alifair had been staying there since she was released from the hospital. As word spread of her confinement in the pit, charitable donations came in from compassionate people all across the country. One anonymous donor from Texas 
sent Alifair a gift of $100, which she used to purchase clothes and candy, according to a report in the Kentucky edition of the Cincinnati Inquirer. With a grand jury indictment handed down, John Smith Hall, who had been serving as his own attorney and who had two prior felony convictions against him, decided to forego another curious trial audience and instead pled guilty to unlawfully imprisoning Alifair Chauffeur and under the state of Kentucky's Habitual Criminal Act, he was sentenced to a mandatory life term. We spoke earlier about posting selfies and using filters to mask our imperfections. But how would you feel if the only picture known to be in existence of you was a black and white image from a 1952 newspaper clipping? None of Alifair's surviving family members reported having any photographs of her and after many hours of searching, I was able to find a picture of Alifair that was taken while she was in the hospital recovering from her abuse and injuries. At first, I was hesitant about sharing an image that reveals lips that were swollen from frostbite, hair that was uncut and uncombed, but more importantly, eyes that were so filled with sadness and sorrow that you just want to turn away from fear of crying. After studying Alifair's forlorn image, I decided that I will share her picture on social media because until now, Alifair Chauffeur seemed like a character in a novel, a fictional person whose life was too extraordinary to be believed. But this picture offers a snapshot of an actual time and an actual woman whose likeness may reveal our own reflection and whose story is still far from over. Watered down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. A fool's paradise hoping to be free found a new home in the cemetery. Grab a shovel. And join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered down women. With no help from above, passionate promises made with each breath, deceptive affection ended in.